0: We're going to continue this morning in the Christmas series. We're nearing the end. We're not quite there yet. We have one more week after this, even. But we're continuing this series called Christmas Hope, if I can get—there we are. And that's a look at, as Dale said this morning, the first two chapters of the book of Luke. That's all we've been looking at, is the first two chapters of the book of Luke. And we've kind of talked about how, in the Christmas narrative, we always think about the Christmas narrative being about a birth, specifically Jesus' birth, and that's what we're talking about today, right, the coming of Messiah— but we're talking about how much time the Gospel of Luke has spent knitting together a family, knitting together Zechariah and his bride, Elizabeth, knitting together Joseph and Mary, a young man betrothed or pledged to marry a woman, and, and then two births that are coming through this. And then we know, because we've heard the Gospel, that these births are then manifest in this great culmination, of revelation to Israel, that Messiah has come. And so what's amazing to me is that we spent this time in Luke hearing these stories of these families being knit together, not just amongst individually, but together as families, drawing near as the people of God, and interestingly, with every person serving their purpose. Like the interesting thing to me is like no one's left out of this narrative. The, The neighbors and the friends, remember last week, were amazed when they heard about the birth of John and what was happening with that, the proclamations being made about him. And so it comes that, you know, Christmas is good news for, for everyone. And we're almost there. By the way, it was mentioned earlier, but um, Christmas Eve is on Wednesday or Tuesday, yes? And, and so we'll be at the barn, 559 uh, Leroy Road on, on Christmas Eve. Um, we'll also be out um, Christmas morning around 8 o'clock, um, Christmas caroling, in the nursing homes in the area. If you want to do that from like 8 to 10 or as much as you can or don't, you know, one place, whatever you want to do opportunities to go out and be part of the church and to sing and to praise God, to worship him, to have a traveling worship band as we go through and just remind folks who maybe don't have someone coming to them that uh, we are celebrating Christmas with them as well as our own families. But I wonder, in the middle of all the, um, the joy and the celebration, do you find Christmas particularly joyful? That's what I was thinking about today. Do you find it um, particularly encouraging? Or, or do you find Christmas stressful? It can be a really stressful time of the year. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I've been surprised to learn is that for those who are lonely, Christmas becomes the loneliest time of the year, of all the year. Or, or do you find it exciting? Christmas, Christmas, like when you're a little kid? Or is it discouraging? Is Christmas again? Is that another year down? What has happened? Do you find Christmas easy? Like, are you like Martha Stewart? We you know what the package is. <laughs> is your house like, ring? you know? Isn't it funny? By the way, we always talk about Christmas magic, and it's always like how the lights go up and how the presents show up and all these things, and it's like, it's not, or is it difficult? Is it muy difícil? <laughs> is it hard to make this magic happen? Well, that's what we're talking about today as we look at Christmas, the final stretch here. How do we experience it, and what does that look like? We're going to be looking at the second chapter of the book of Luke this morning, but before we open it, I'm going to pray one more time that God would inspire his word, be preached and heard by his people for his glory. Pray with me if you would. Father, this morning we come now to your to sit at your feet and to learn from you. We know that you are the holder of wisdom, of all wisdom, and that you are pleased to answer the prayer when we ask you to give some to your people. Father, would you give us wisdom today? Would you help us to see afresh with new eyes this Story we've heard so many times of, of your son born to us. Father, we give you thanks and praise this morning already in our hearts. We sing, and we believe, and yet, Father, we ask that you would continue to teach us. Um, maybe those who are experiencing loneliness, that it wouldn't feel lonely after connecting with your story. Father God, would you be glorified as you condescend to your people and teach us. We need you. We invite your Holy Spirit to instruct us as he is made to do, as he does, I should say, and that you be glorified as your people respond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Luke chapter... That's the wrong thing totally, so we're off to good start. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. But it's about page 715, so that part's right. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 is this morning we're going to cover. We're picking up right where we left off last week, which was with the revelation of John growing in the spirit, and then waiting in the desert until he appeared publicly. And this is what the word continues then. Chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a consensus should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So it's kind of a funny thing that in the middle of this narrative of the coming Messiah, in the middle of this great story about John the Baptist being born full of the Spirit, in the middle of the story about two moms coming together and being amazed at the miracles that God is doing— now we have it almost, I think, come full stop with, and there was a census. And I'm like, that's not romantic. Like, that's not some, how many times do we hear that part of the Christmas story told? There's a census? I mean, I know we get to see Joseph and Mary and Mary on the donkey and that whole, but they're going to do, like, government work? They're going to show up because Caesar has demanded it? What does this mean? And so I want to talk a little bit about what that means And God, again, church, God's perfect timing in everything. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And I'm like, well, who's Caesar Augustus anyway, right? Well, Caesar Augustus is the emperor of Rome. He's actually the first emperor of Rome. And um, I always, this is kind of funny, but I always thought Caesar was his first name and Augustus was his last name. And if if you're like me, okay, awesome, because then I'm not the only one in here that thinks that. But Caesar is actually, it means king or ruler, right? And uh, Augustus is his, his, his official title, his adopted title. And so it's kind of like Jesus' last name isn't Christ. Uh, Caesar Augustus' first name is not Caesar. As, as a matter of fact, um, Caesar Augustus wasn't born Caesar Augustus. Um, he's also known as uh, Octavius. That's kind of a cooler name. I'd go by that if I was him. Octavius. <laughs> you sound like, uh, uh, what is that, transformer, right? Um, or is also known as Gaius Octavius. I don't know if I like that one as much. He came to be known as, and this is interesting, because if you go look at the history of Caesar Augustus, he starts off with a very human name, and he gets more and more titles, more and more reverence, until by the end of his reign, he's being called son of the divine, son of God, Caesar Augustus. So Caesar Augustus, this one who has elevated to the point of being divinity, calls the whole world together to register for a census. I don't know if you've heard some of the news in our own country, we're doing a census, right? Why do we do census anyway? It's to find out who's living where, but to what purpose? Well, for us, it's for voting rolls and stuff like that, but there's something else going on here in Rome at the time that Caesar wants this done. The first might sound pretty familiar to you and to me. It's for taxes, they want to make sure everybody's paying their taxes. So the only way to make sure they're paying taxes. To make sure how many people are out there. Are we getting your taxes from you? So he makes a decree. You have to go register so that we can have you pay your taxes. I don't know if you're like me. That would not excite me to take a long journey with my wife. I would not want to make hardly any effort at all. Matter of fact, in our own country, I don't want to do the paperwork. I don't, to leave my house. I don't want to do the paperwork for taxes. Okay, and so. But, but that's what he decrees. You must go register so that you can pay your taxes. But that wasn't all. I said it was the first. There's some conversation about this. How often this happened and where did it happen? It was the first in all the land, is how it's recorded in Scripture, and that would mean Judea. It was the first in the lands. Why? Because there was a census being taken because they were being annexed into the empire. This formerly kind of independent state was now being ruled by a foreign dignitary. And the way he begins to express this rule is he begins to send out this command that you do a census. And so the annexation of Judea into the Roman Empire was a second reason. I say this because this gives us a little more understanding about what's happening um, in the time of Jesus' birth. Israel is the people of God. It's the nation of God. Like, and, and here they are being oppressed and put upon by an outside uh, um, power saying but you're going to report to us yeah 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 believe in god but you report to us <laughs> right and so they're expressing that authority i say that because this is interesting but um, it was a disruptive and hostile time this wasn't like everyone was like do 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 going to do my taxes that they're going to be annexed they were going saying we're going to be slaves again we're going to have to bend the knee to another king Not our own. We're going to have to go and participate. I don't even want to go. As a matter of fact, there was a group of Jews who later became known as the Zealots, I believe, who actually started to conspire against Caesar Augustus. (laughs) They're like, let's (laughs) overthrow this. Let's don't do this. Don't comply. In the middle of the Christmas story, this happens. This was not a small movement of people. It was everyone being affected. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. It seems, seems to me that some of our, our own experiences lately have everyone kind of on the edge of their seat. I think what a great gift our politicians gave us this Christmas season. A bunch of hostility. <laughs> I think that they're hoping that by the uh, new year we'll forgotten what happened in 2019 and go on with a brand new year. But I'm not so sure, Right? It's like everything's worked to a fever pitch. And this is the condition that Joseph and Mary... Now, we're already amazed by Joseph, you know, staying with Mary. And Mary's obedience to God, what an awesome witness to us. Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of their son, John. But in the middle of this, there's this expression of authority and of power. So then my next question is, okay, let's read on. This was the first census that took place by Quirinius that was governor of Syria. That's in the local, the local magistrate. He was the one who was affecting the census, making it happen. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, right, where he was from, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And so I'm like, okay, so why do they move? Like, why can't they count people where they are, right? And there's a couple of possibilities here, and I think it's interesting to explore them. Um, but why go to Bethlehem at all? Like, Why not just say, here, I'm here. I pay my taxes from here. Odds are they're probably going to live where they were living. So this isn't, you know, why are they, going, why are they being moved? It could have been a requirement that they would go to their town of their birth. So many of us live in Highland, in the area of Highland, but we're not born here. So if the government were to say you have to go back to your hometown to register, well, then I'd have to drive for me 45 minutes to an hour away to register in my hometown. Maybe further for some of you, right? You have to drive a little longer than that. To get to your hometown, so so that could be one reason. A date that the that the government said you have to go to your town of birth to register. A second possibility is Joseph could have been a landowner in Bethlehem, um, and so you might have to go to where you owned land. Now we'll we'll know in a minute here. He don't own a house. <laughs> Mary wasn't exactly marrying up. I don't know if she wasn't. or not. Maybe she was. Maybe Joseph was well off. I don't know. But I mean, but he might have had land there, and that land could have been a requirement. That he would go and register where he has property. Or maybe it's family property. You had to go register where the family property is. There's a third possibility, though, and it could be this. Um, Rome was really good about coming in and saying, "Worship whoever you want, as so long as you submit to us. <laughs> right? Just pick a god, any god, but serve us. We'll be happy with that." And they would integrate everything into them, themselves. It was called, and it, it, it resulted in what's called Pax uh, um, uh, Pox, what is it called? Huh? Pox Romano. Yeah. The peace of Rome. Because they would come with war, and they would settle into peace. They would come with swords, and they would settle into, yeah, just do what you do, just pay taxes, we'll be fine with that. So the skirmish was on the outside boundaries of their property, but inside Rome, it was peaceful. You didn't have to fight anymore. And and so that could have, so here's the third reason, perhaps, that they knew this was a hostile thing for the Israelites to deal with. They understood that. And so as a way to give deference to the Jewish tradition, they said, you know what, in yours... Go register in your hometowns, in your family towns. Why would this be a thing? I want to share with you um, a reading from a, a couple of verses from Numbers chapter 1, verse 18 and so. I'm just going to read a little bit around. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want Chat, uh, Numbers 1 is where I'm at, 17, 18, 19. Moses and Aaron took those men who have, whose names had been given, and they called the whole community together on the first day of the second month. The people indicated their ancestry by their clans and their families. And the men 20 years old or more were listed by name one by one. As the Lord commanded Moses, and so he counted them in the desert of Sinai. And then if you've not read the entire Bible, this is where it gets really boring. Because they list out every man in generation. They list every man, but they list every generation. Can you imagine how long a census would take like that? Bill Dempsey, Belva, Illinois. right? And you go, you're... So, so this was something in their history they understood. So if you're going to want to have a, um, a census, well, go to your hometown. Register where you're, where you're from, your family line. And so, so it could have been that they, they were deferring to the Jews and their traditions already, making it a little more palatable, this rule and this reign from far. So let's talk about the journey then to Bethlehem. Because it says here, um, he, it says, um, he, went, he went there to register with Mary, who has pledged to be married to him, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and was expecting a child, right? So he didn't just travel alone, he traveled with his, his bride, as it were, his pregnant bride, as it were. And so let's talk about what that means. then. so, so you got some reason, and they're going to obey it, for whatever, whether it was, um, it was uh, a demand that they go, they decided to go to Bethlehem Register there. The most direct route from where they were to Bethlehem was about 90 miles, right? Now, 90 miles in a Tesla might be pretty easy. Uh, 90 miles walking, never mind a donkey. I think the donkey is like a historical grace to marry. Like, that pregnant lady didn't walk 90 miles, did she? Let's get her a horse. <laughs> but odds are, she may very well have walked that 90 miles. Uh, can you imagine asking a pregnant woman to walk 90 miles with you anywhere? And living? Can you imagine? But, but that, that was the closest route. Probably they traveled in a caravan with other people going to the city of David. They were probably, hey, are you going to? I'm I've got to go to Bethlehem over by Jerusalem. Oh, that's a long one, man. i got to go like three blocks, right? That guy never left the house. Good for him, right? you got a long journey home. And so they're walking probably in a caravan, perhaps though by themselves, but as this family unit with a pregnant fiancé slash wife. I want to talk about that for a moment. It would have been scandalous in the time to have a, an, unbetro- an unmarried couple spend that kind of time together, just me and you. Even though they're in public, even though they're walking and all stuff, it could have been a scandal. What does this mean that he was pledged to be married? I looked into it about this much. We could look into it a whole bunch more than this. But what it is is that by this point, the pledge to be married thing was like, it's a done deal. For all intents and purposes, they're considered husband and wife. This is why it was a big deal whenever the angel said, don't leave Mary, right? Um, she's with child, and it's an act of God, because the commitment had been made, and it was up to him to either divorce her or keep her at this point. And by the grace of God, he decides to keep her, believing God and his bride. So here, for all intents and purposes, it's like a husband and wife. It's an unconsummated marriage. We don't need to get into that too much, but that's, that's the truth of it, right? But beyond that, they're traveling together as a married couple, and so so they'd be making this journey together. And, and this, is the, this is the explanation of why Mary would even go with Joseph. Because you wouldn't take a fiancé, a girlfriend necessarily, right, from her father's house until you had paid, um, paid the, um, the, the bridal fees. You had to pay your father-in-law to take his daughter off his hands. How awesome is that tradition? Can you imagine the value? Okay, okay. Come on. So... That had been paid. She had been given to him in marriage. Now they were moving. They were taking this journey. 90 miles. To where? To Bethlehem. And the word says here because he belonged, and it gives the explanation why Bethlehem, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And so jo- Joseph is going to his fatherland, very literally. He belongs to the line of David, King David. Now, there's a bunch of people who belong to David's line, but he's one of them. And he was going to a particular town that was in, um, in Jerusalem, or in Judea, but it was 5.5 miles southwest of Jerusalem, which, again, I was kind of amazed, to There was more than one Bethlehem. I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought Bethlehem was the Bethlehem, right? We're going to the Bethlehem. No, there's a bunch of Bethlehems. It meant house of bread. But he was going to that one up by Jerusalem, and that's how. That's why the journey um, had to be so long for him. So then, so now we know. Ninety miles. Pregnant wife. Um, committed to seeing this thing through. Bethlehem and Judea, not close to home. Uh, a long way. Now I want to ask the question again. Do you find Christmas uh, stressful or or joyous? <laughs> Do you find it exciting or discouraging? Do you find it easy or difficult? We often kind of paint a rosy picture over this, but I can't imagine the journey and the grumbling, if not from Mary and Joseph, from the other people who have to do the same thing. I know I would grumble the entire 90 miles about it, um, what Christmas was looking like for them. Have you ever had something demanded of you at the most inconvenient time of your life? Yeah, I could do it when things were better. I could have done it when I was younger. I could have done it whatever I felt better. I could have done it whatever I had more money. I could have done it whenever things were going good for me. But now, I have to do this now, and I don't get to pick it. Like it's foisted on me. I have to take this journey. There have been a whole bunch of reasons to not want to do it. As a matter of fact, I have to believe, as much as we've seen revelation from the scriptures, there must have been thinking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why do we have to go now? Chapter 2 started with this, at that time, or when that time had come. So what? After Elizabeth had given birth to John, now all of a sudden, at that point in time, they're, they're sent on this journey. What does that mean? Can we figure anything out from the text by that? It means Mary was at least six months pregnant. Because she had rushed to a, a Elizabeth when Elizabeth was in her sixth month, and Mary and, and the baby leapt, in. the baby slept in the womb. The, John leapt in his mom's womb, right? And then she stayed three months with Elizabeth. That means she's three months pregnant when she leaves. So it, it's, it's, she's at least six to nine months. I think my math is good there. And now we have to travel? Well, they did. Pledged to be married. Walk, walking this long walk. Maybe got a donkey. Maybe. The Uber donkey, maybe. But verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's read a little more. Eight, and there were shepherds living out. Wait a minute. Let's read that again. While they were there, the time came to verse six for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then there were shepherds. Two verses? We, we've been taking this long journey, and there's two verses about the birth of Jesus? I mean, look at how small that is in your Bible. It's, we've done all this studying and looking and reading and tearing up, and then there's like two, two verses about his birth. What? The shepherds come right in. They're like, and next, you know? What? What in the world? Listen to what the word says. At that time, when they were there, it came to pass. Listen, this word is so beautiful in the way it illustrates this. It says, the time had come. The word actually says that the fulfillment of Mary's pregnancy, the fullness of time, is captured there. While they were there, the time for the baby to be born. That literally reads, the fulfillment of her begetting a child. It was an ultimate manifestation. And you wonder, like what in the world's going on with a 90-mile journey before the birth? Why make them a strangers in a strange land? And then here you have that in the fullness of time in God's perfect way, after long and difficult struggle, after probably a bunch of questions about what are you doing, God? Why are we taking this trip now? Why couldn't the census be in three more months or a few months ago? Why is it now? But in that perfect time, at that place, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. In that perfect time, when the days were fulfilled, when her pregnancy was finished, when it was all complete, then the baby came. The word says that um, she gave birth to her first son. That's interesting to me. Um, the word is the same where we get prototype from. So the first thing is, she brought forth a son, a prototype. And, and you can read that as like, well, it's the first one. It literally means the first one to open a mother's womb, right? The first one out, the, uh, the firstborn son. Great Hebrew heritage of being the firstborn son, connotation of the blessing. You know, it gets the, gets the in bulk of the inheritance from the father, right? But he's the prototype in other ways we know as well, um, and, and we we can talk about this. You know, isn't it interesting, and let's just think about it for a minute, that Joseph was from David's household, right? But Joseph isn't Jesus' dad. What would be going on that, the, that they would want to make it a point that Joseph was in the household of David? Because, you know, it was a promise in the Old Testament that I will keep my family lineage going. And then here in the moment, they're like, and Joseph is in the household of David. Oh, and by the way, he's not his dad, he, Jesus is the firstborn of Mary, the prototype, the, the first one, but he's the first one. He's not the first one to be born in the line of David. He's not the first one to be born in, in Joseph's family. He's the first one to be born of Mary and what? Born of God, the primary inheritor of his father, the first of his kind, the prototype. What's the word call him? This, the new Adam. The right creation. See, the word is so small there, but it's so powerful what's happening. You've got to read it, and you've got to think about what it's saying. His dad's in the house. David, great. His his father is God. But here he comes. Two little verses. She gave birth to her firstborn. And, as we talked about last week, it's a boy, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. So the second thing is that she wraps him in swaddling clothes. Um, Dale mentioned to me last week, he's like, have you ever heard a thing about the swaddling clothes? It's like grave clothes, like strips of linen. Same kind of idea that, you know, Jesus' death and his life and all that. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that God begat a son or caused to be born a son in, in in a woman. His Holy Spirit covered her, and then this child needs a mother's care. You know what swaddling is for? Y'all have had babies, like most of you know what swaddling's for, right? It just feels good. If you ever go to a hospital and see a newborn baby, they'll you have know that thing brought up like a, like a baby burrito. You ever seen it? Just tuck it in there, baby's like, ah. And then if you're like me, you want to get the baby out, and you're like, let me get the baby out, you know, and you're like, can I rub the baby? And usually are like, oh, sure, okay. And the baby's like, Wirr! and the baby's upset, like, nah. And you're like, this is cute. And mom and dad's like, this ain't cute. I've been dealing with this for like, you know, and then, then immediately, like, usually super dads, if you're out there, they're like, let me swaddle. Get the ratchet strap on it, you know, and, and the baby's like happy. What does it mean that God came in a child that needed to be swaddled? They needed a mother's care. They needed to feel secure and loved and safe, cared for. It didn't come like, like in a mech suit, you know, like I got this, you know, I'm the Son of God. Came in this delicate little package. But that's what happened. It's recorded in the Scripture, those two little verses. She wrapped him in clothes, swaddled him tight. It was a it was a tradition that kept babies from kind of um, having like seizures or you know like being spastic. It just calms them down. And then she placed him in a manger. The third thing that we hear here, she laid him in a manger. That's a feeding trough. You've seen that imagery everywhere. The the you can go to Highland Square right now and see a f- almost full size manger scene. How cool is that? You can get in there and take pictures with it, which is super cool. You know you can even touch it. You can't sit on it or climb on it, and then, and, and, but what, and what is that, In a feeding trough, or a stall, and you know, how many times do we hear that story, and then let's just say that the last thing, we'll, we'll, um, that um, there's no, what does it say, because there was no room for them at the inn, Now would be the place you would go to unwind, right, the Marriott um, in uh, Bethlehem, right, just, just drop your bags, oh, I'm done, but we tell that story, do we not? A whole bunch of ways, like this, like no bang, no bang, argh, bang, like as if everyone now listen. It's the census. I mean, the stress levels are high, right? The inns are all booked up. Everybody's coming to town. It's a convention, you know. You ever see, You ever go downtown and see those people walking out with badges? I used to work downtown. I'd see those people. I would just walk to the other side of the street. I don't want to deal with those people, right? They just come over, take over the city. Oh my gosh! If you ever go to a convention anywhere, don't be those people i've done it myself don't be those people there are locals living there but but we have this reading of it, it's so hostile but listen do you do you hear the care in it the the stable was um like a soft a soft safe place have you ever been in a barn if you haven't come out come out uh tuesday night it's kind of cozy it's kind of comfy I've even heard it said like this. Sometimes in Middle East construction, then they would have a little spot between the walls where the heat would pass from the home into the animal's care. And right there, they put the food down there. The animals would come and eat out of there. But that would be a really safe spot for a treasure. That would be the best a mom and dad could do. You couldn't go to the Marriott? We're going to go to the barn. <laughs> I'm going to make the best accommodations I can. I read that, and I don't read that as some harsh mean, difficult, but this real intimate care. She placed him in a manger, wrapped him in clothes, and he was safe and secure. Listen, the very Son of God. In a condition. You think you started with nothing? <laughs> start in a manger, start in a barn, start in a feeding trough of an animal. Places to go from there. Nowhere to go but up, right? So we have that iteration. Do you remember... Um, the question that we said Mary and Joseph might have asked on their way. God, what are you doing? What are you doing in the season of hardship? What are you doing when life's hard? This is from uh, Micah, the Old Testament. Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephra- Ephrathath, Ephrathah, I'll say it like that. Though you are small among all the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old. From the ancient of days. Like there's this promise that something spectacular is gonna happen in 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 Bethlehem. We ask, you know, why God? Because He's keeping His promise. In that place, at that time, with that those people, God's gonna do something amazing. It's gonna change history forever. So then reading on, verse eight. And then there were shepherds. And now let's go to the shepherds. And they were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So I just want to stop real quick and say this. So there, you got baby in manger, but now you have shepherds in a field. Let's just say something. I said you know, who's got it worse off than Mary and Joseph in the manger? It seems like the shepherds might. Because the word says they're sleeping in the fields at night. When you've got a, a hard job, um, you're a shepherd, When you're sleeping with, like, a rock under your head, you know, like, they were sleeping in the open field. That's the analogy here. They didn't have, like, their their coolest gear. Um, They were sleeping. Now, they were professionals. They knew what they were doing. But they were sleeping in open fields with the sheep. Why were they sleeping in the open fields, it says? Because they were keeping watch over their flocks. They had ownership here in the care of these animals, but they're nearby, right? So they're doing their job. They're just punching the clock. But they're dedicated. They're so dedicated, they sleep at work. Not in a bad way. Because, you know, if you work all night, you sleep at work, right? Watching out for what? Watching out for enemies. Watching out for people who would steal your sheep. Watching out for people who would hurt your sheep. Making sure your sheep just aren't going crazy, because sheep go crazy sometimes. But they're watching over them at night. And then in the middle of this scene now, you've got a baby in a manger, and you've got a glorious night. We sang about it. And you've got these shepherds out in the field. This is what the word says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. That's such high holy language. It says an angel stood next to them. An angel. By the way, you've heard of an angel a couple times in the story, have we not? I'm not sure which angel this is. It doesn't name him here. But it's um, been Gabriel so far. An angel comes and stands among them, right? And there's a few reactions that happen. It says an angel stands next to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. So you get the scene here. Now there's an angel, bam, right here in our camp. You ever been in a camp at night with a fire going? If anything moves in the trees near you, you get suspicious. Something's standing up in the middle, of right, bam, right there in your face, right? And then the second thing that happens is the glory of the Lord shines around them. So now you get this idea like they're just surrounded in light in the middle of the night. It's like, you know, whatever it would look like. I don't know what it would look like. Um, but, but just overwhelming light. And then what? And they're terrified. <laughs> it says they feared with great fear. Man, I'm just watching my sheep. What do you want with me? Why are you here? They're freaked out. And the angel answers. And I love that, by the way. It says the angel spoke, but here the angel answers what? Their fears. Answers, what's the angel say? Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Right? This is not a bad day for you. This is a great, you're going to remember this for a while, right? This is the greatest night of your life at work. Today in the town of David, a Savior, Dale talked about that this morning, has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. That's Messiah. The King has come. And an is going to tell it, this good news, to the shepherds in the fields. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby Wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And that means swaddled. So you're going to go look for a baby in a barn, swaddled up. You're gonna go, go, that's what you're going to find if you want to see the, the Savior, the, the Messiah who's been born. This revelation is made to shepherds in the field. So the glory of the Lord is around them. The angels standing there, and he's answering in their fear because they're still afraid. And what does he say? Because unto you today, shepherds, so you have a child born in a manger and, and, and being cared for there, and then you have this angel show up out in the field, and he's like, to you, a Savior is born. To you, a Savior is born. To you, like, in your life where you are. Hey, 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 guess what? For you, a Savior is born today. You want to go see? Look for the baby swaddled in a, in a manger. And so... This is an answer to fear. Don't be afraid. This is a gift to you. This is, the word actually says here, euangelion, it's good news, it's evangelism. It's praise God. Many have longed to see it, and these shepherds get to hear it. Many have hoped, and now these servants in the field get to hear the grace of God. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. I have a question. Do you look for God in unexpected circumstances? I mean, it, like, when things get crazy and you don't know what's going on, do you just go, give me a minute. Where's God in this? Do you, do you keep an eye for him in that moment? Because it seems like this is a pretty crazy moment for those shepherds, and yet they get to, don't be afraid, because unto you a savior is born. They get to see, they get to hear, they get to know that there's a God who is caring for them so much that he's come to earth to save them. And that anything else, that anything else that they get to concern with Is secondary to this primary need of a Savior. Now check this out. This is where it gets crazy. We thought it was crazy already. Turns out that the angel was just the first wave of what's about to go down. Because we ought to read this right. It says, suddenly. So in the middle of, go find the little baby this is good news, go find a baby. And it says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And you go, okay, what's that? I've been hung up on an idea. We've been reading the Bible in a year this year, and I'm talking more about that next week, but praise God for it. But the Lord Almighty in the Old Testament means the Lord of hosts. It also means the Lord of the army. This, 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 we have this idea of like, here's an angel, boom, ah, and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, ah, ah. no, I don't think that's what it was like. It says the hosts came, it says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared. These are warriors. They're fit for battle. Maybe it's because I'm a guy, but that's what it says. It says the Lord, the same one, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. They're like, we're ready. And they're not just ready to fight. Like, you know, let's, let's go have a war. They're ready to praise God, man. They're going to use all their strength and all their power. We've been fighting a long time this battle, man. And it's about to be won. I can't believe it. And they say these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Like, they've never seen favor like this. Like, this God has been an eternal battle for. For a long time. They've been fighting the enemy, and now God's going to pour out his grace on these weaklings, these earthlings, the men whose favor rests. Peace is coming to you. We talked about Pax, uh, Pax Romana. This is the peace of God. This great and heavenly host revealed to these shepherds that were previously afraid of one messenger, and they proclaim God's salvation. They proclaim his glory. It says the glory, of the Lord surrounded the shepherds before this. But man, can you imagine witnessing that? Like, whoa, man, what's going on? How cool is that? Listen to me. We too often think we serve a weak God, and that's a lie. We do not serve a God who is not able. We don't serve a God who is weak, and we don't serve a God who does not know what He's doing. He knows exactly what He's doing. He's strong. And he has an army of strength behind him at his command. And there they are in the heavens being revealed to these shepherds. We're ready to battle. We're ready to proclaim the glory of God. Verse 15. So what do they do? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And look at verse 16. Man, I love this. So they hurried. They hurried along. Remember what happened with Mary? When Mary was told by Gabriel, "Hey, go see Elizabeth," and then Mary's like, "I'm gonna go see. I'm gonna go right now. I'm gonna pack my bags. I'm out of here. I'm gonna go see." The shepherds are like, "We're gonna go." Now, I don't know how fast shepherds can hurry because what happened to the sheep? I don't know. Did they like leave them in the field? Like, be back in a minute, guys, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or they like like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, god these sheep are so slow. Like, I don't I bet I can't imagine they have patience to walk sheep that far. But here they go. And they're all hurried off, and there they find Mary and Joseph. And that might have been a miracle in itself. They found this husband and this wife with this baby in the stable. They saw exactly what had been revealed to them. They had been guided there, and they saw the baby Jesus, the one who was born to you. Today, in the town of Bethlehem, the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, right? How cool is that? And so they go and they get to see him. When they saw him in verse 17, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. The Messiah is here. Shepherds. Okay. No, no. You won't believe what we saw out in the field. The Messiah is here. What's he look like? He's a baby. He's in a manger in Bethlehem. Okay. But they went and they told everyone what they heard And it says, all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Here's, we're going to get to Mary here. I love the way Mary wraps this up for us. But I wonder, do you hurry to see Jesus in Christmas? See, I've been saying the whole time we've been kind of running into the series like, we want to lean into Christmas. We want to look for Jesus in Christmas. We want to look for opportunities to recognize who he is, why we do this stuff even the decorations, even the presents, even the trees. But do you look, are you hurrying to see Jesus? Is it an exciting thing? Are you like, man, this is Christmas again. I've done this so many times before. See, I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of get that way. I get like, ah, yeah. You see little kids like, oh, the kids love it. Good for them. Let's go have some (laughs) eggnog, right? We've seen it all before. But if you're looking for Jesus, if you're looking for a savior, he's to be found this time of year. So here's Mary at the end. And by the way, no props for Joseph in all this. <laughs> they just said he's the house of David, but it's been Mary, Mary, Mary ever since then. Sounds like my household. <laughs> Practically, I'm saying, I mean, right? Mom does almost everything. I'm not putting that on Joseph. That's, that's projecting, isn't it? No, I'm sorry. Okay. But Mary says this in 19... But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So that's Mary's response. Wow, what's going on with this baby? I mean, come on. She had a baby without being with a man. That's already pretty weird. But now all these people are coming into her little manger, like interrupting her baby time to go, wow, God told me this is happening. And they're out spreading news about this child. She treasures them up in her heart. There are things that we can treasure up in our heart. There are things that we can ponder. And I wonder if that pondering means... Hmm. really? What is going on here? There's a second response, though. It comes from the shepherds. It says this in verse 20. When the shepherds returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all the things, what, that they had heard, that they had seen, and which they had been told. Right? So the shepherds go away, and they're like, you're not going to believe it. It's like the best fishing story ever for a shepherd. You know? Guys, guys, guys. Guess what happened at work last night? But they were so excited they were telling everyone, Mary kind of sounds introverted. I'm going to think about this. What does this mean? Ponder it. And the shepherd's are like, I got to tell you about this. This becomes the two kind of tensions of Christmas. There are times it's so intimate that we can't help but just think about it deeply. What does it mean? Now, listen to me, church. What does it mean that Jesus came to earth to pay for our sin? And I believe it, I believe it too, but what does that mean? What does it mean for us that he came in this way? That our Savior, the commander of hosts, the Lord of armies, came in this weak form that required a mother's care and love. And then the other part, the inside inside part, is the outside part. Who are you saying, man, you know what this is about, right? Do you hear that song they just played on the Muzak at the mall? Do you know what that song is about? It's about a Messiah. It's about a God who's a promise keeper. It's about sin being paid for. It's about a hope when you're hopeless. Listen to me. It's about a partner for the lonely. It's about a God who's always with you. The shepherds were doing it then, but if we don't do it now, who's going to do it? If we aren't the voice in the room saying, are you seeing this? Are you catching the message? I told you that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. That meant that Joseph had paid the bride price to her father, his father-in-law, to take her hand in marriage. And I was stunned by that a little bit because this is the truth of Jesus. We are, we are Mary. I said that before. Blessed are you who are highly favored. And in, in Ephesians it says, you're highly favored, church. But here's the truth. We are Mary on the journey because God has already paid the price for us. Jesus Christ has already paid the Father the bright price that he could purchase us with his blood. And now he's taking us on this journey of faith that we could know him as Savior. So I don't know if that's true for you today that you know that. But that's the truth. That there's a person who has paid the price that we could be free this is Christmas. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't do the right things to get it. God, in his grace, his favor, proclaimed by the army, has given it to us. And we just receive it. Wow. What a glorious night. I hope you know that this Christmas. I hope you do. I hope you believe the gospel. I hope you know that you're precious and paid for. Your sin's covered. And even when you're screwing up, still your sin's covered because of a
1: groom. Who loves
0: you so much? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for Christmas and for this great and glorious story of your coming. We thank you for the huge storyline and the tiny little intimacies of your favor. I thank you so much for the faithful witnesses we've gotten to see in Scripture, how they've lived out their role in, in faithfulness and allegiance to you. And Father, this morning, I've, I've asked uh, my friends here this morning, like, I hope you believe this, but I hope we do. I hope that in the Christmas season, we can look through, under, around all the stuff to see the gospel breaking through. I hope that we could be reminded and indeed like the shepherds, share it with somebody. And God, would you help us to not be awkward, but we just, how exciting this time of year that your son is born to us, that the sin problem is met in fullness in Christ. I thank you so much for um, the way you're knitting together families and, and saving generations of people. I thank you, Father, that you have taught us and condescended to us, that we could know you better. If there's someone here this morning who doesn't believe this to be true, that Jesus died for their sin, that they're forgiven and invited into your fullness and your presence and to an eternal relationship with you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just teach that reality today, that they would know you, that you would indeed give a birth born again of the Spirit, by your good pleasure. We need you for that. We trust you for that. You're the only one who does it. And we praise you when it happens. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.